Good evening, everyone. I'm glad to see all of you once again. It was like I was just up here. Uh, I'm glad that, thanks. Um, before we move on, the, a grave disservice would, would happen if um, I didn't acknowledge and name the fact that, and he will be very upset that I am, that that song that we all just sang and felt the spirit of God moving through the room, that, Seth Putnam wrote that song. So we are blessed beyond measure that you are being faithful with your gifts, Seth, so thank you. Um, and so uh, tonight we are beginning a brand new four-week series, it's just a quick one, on the book of Ruth. The book of yes for Ruth, we're very excited. Um, Ruth is just four chapters long, and so if we spend a week on each chapter, that's actually going to bring us, believe it or not, that's actually going to bring us to, like, Advent. Can it be Christmas time? Like, four weeks? Anyway, um, so that's what we're going to be doing the next four weeks, and I get to kick us off tonight. And so, Jesus, we are your church, and we love you, and um, and we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but we love you. And we trust that you are the one making us alive by the power of your spirit, by your word going forth, by, the, by your very presence feeding us at your table. And so we ask this evening that you would speak. We're not interested in just another Friday. We're not interested in business as usual. We bring our full selves into this moment. And we say, come and speak, Lord. As your children are listening, we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, world without end. Amen. All right, so we're just going to keep it really simple tonight. We're just going to read through the first chapter of Ruth. It's a story, and so we need to just tell the story. We're going to read through it. We'll make a couple of reflections as we go along, and um, and then. Um, and then we'll make a couple comments at the end, and then we'll come to the table. Sound good? Okay. All right. So Ruth, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and there will be bold words on the screen as I read it. I've modified this translation just slightly to translate a few of the Hebrew names. So (laughs) it's good. Um, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was, My God is King, and the name of his wife, Lovely, and the names of his two sons were Sickly and done for. (laughs) They were fruitful ones. From House of Bread, from Bethlehem, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But my God is king, the husband of lovely died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And I think that... Uh, beginning of verse 4, the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that is the beginning of verse 4, 4a, I'm sorry. And all God's people said, let's cover that up. <laughs> so, uh, yes, um, 
this story actually begins in like the wild west of Israel, if you didn't know. It's verse one. It says that it's set during the, the time of the Judges. Now, Judges is the book, name of the book, immediately before Ruth in the uh, Christian Old Testament. And if you want to know what a brutal period of time this was, you just need to flip back like one, two pages um, before Ruth and get ready to schedule your counseling appointment for this week. Like, why am I joking about this? It's horrible. It's really awful. It's like you've got over uh, verse, uh, chapters 18, 19, 20, you've got sectarian violence and sexual assault and murder and dismemberment and human body parts being FedExed around the country and all-out civil war. Like, welcome to church, by the way. <laughs> this evening, we're just reading the Bible here. Um, those are the last couple of pages of the book of Judges. And we're told four times at the end of Judges that um, it's this horrible and it's this brutal because there's no king in the land. This is after the exodus from Egypt, but before the monarchies of Saul and David. And everyone is just doing what is right in their own eyes, the text continues to say again and again. Scriptures are in no way like condoning this violence. It's actually just the opposite of that. The, the narrative of the, like the theology embedded within the narrative is um, pointing us to what happens when humanity is not submissive to or guided by divine goodness is what's happening right there. And in the middle of this like brutal wild west, we find a guy named Elimelech. My God is king. Um, and his bride, Naomi, which means something like pleasant or, or lovely or beautiful. In the time when there is no king in the land, my God is king, finds himself utterly alone. <laughs> like exiled and alienated from the land of promise. There is a famine in the land, we are told at the beginning of Ruth. It's a a hunger on the earth. There's no law and order. There's no obedience to Yahweh. There's no goodness. Ultimately, there's no, no food. Um, to survive, this family ends up heading into enemy territory, into the land of Moab. Um, you now, most of us, or not, maybe you are, but, but like most of us are not soaked in the Jewish scriptures like the earliest readers of Ruth would have been. But for them, this is like saying things were bad in the land of the Jedi. And so they went to live among the stormtroopers on the Death Star. <laughs> you know, it's something like that. Because seriously, the Moabites are um, like an arch enemy of Israel. Uh, in Numbers uh, 22, verses, uh, or chapters 22 through 24, you can just see how like the Moabites are plotting against Israel. They hire this, this prophet named Balaam to like curse them. And then the, there's some sort of like donkey story of like talking to, that's where that happens. Uh, they, they're plotting against Israel, but then in like, they, are, they end up being such a problem in just a couple of chapters that Moabite women are actually seducing Israelite men right after this, and they become like an image of like the dark side of the force, you know, so that even poor my God is king and lovely's two boys, um, 
um, Melon and Kilion, um, sickly and done for. They, verse, verse 3, they end up falling for these treacherous, seductive women. Evidently, it is such a problem in ancient Israel, Moabite women that is, that um, Deuteronomy 23, Moses says, no Moabite can ever join Israel. That's... That's what he says in Deuteronomy 23. Like, a Moabite woman is the ultimate outsider uh, to the people of God, the supreme threat even to, to Israel. And then along comes the tiny, subversive, explosive book that is the book of Ruth, where a Moabite woman is going to embody the chesed of Yahweh, the, the loyal love of God that clings to another and suffers all things for the good of another. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here for just a second. So if we were to summarize this in the first four or five verses or so, we could say that things are not looking good. My God is king, who evidently was devoted to God um, during a very hard time to be devoted to God, has to go live among the Moabites. And this family of um, Ephrathites is what they're called, fruitful ones, like from around the, the area of, Beth, of Bethlehem, the, the house of bread. Um, they, it seems like these people should be the ones who are being blessed. These people are the ones that like should be bearing fruit and they're in a really hard season um, and they're experiencing the hardest of times. They go live on the Death Star where God is my king dies. And then sickly and done for, end, end up, that's their names, end up being seduced by the dark side and marrying stormtroopers is where we are at the, or something like that, right? Does that work? That works. What's this wedding veil look like on a stormtrooper? I digress. Um, and plus, if it's not bad enough, your names are sickly and done for. Like, that doesn't seem like it's, op like, we're not optimistic here. Okay, verse 4, when they had lived there about 10 years, both sickly and done for also died. Big surprise, right? <laughs> like, both poor, poor them. That's, that, that's a hard funeral. Um, <laughs> Uh, both sickly and done for also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to shuv. Everyone say shuv. Shuv. She started to shuv with her daughters-in-law uh, from the country of Moab, for she had in the country of Moab that Yahweh had considered, had visited, had con like his people and given them food. Side note. Just so you know, shuv is the Hebrew word for turn or turn like around. Like it's, it's the most common word that gets started used by the prophets for repent is what it is. It's just, but it literally just means turn. And it gets used a total of 12 times in this first chapter. Like that seems significant, doesn't it? Shuv means turn. Okay, so. She set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to Shuv, to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughter, two daughters-in-law, Shuv, each of you to your own mother, like, Shuv, each of you to your own mother's house, may Yahweh deal kindly with you. Literally, may, like, 
do chesed to you, do lo- show loyal love to you as you have already dealt with the dead and with me. Yahweh grant that you find security, each of you in the house of your husband. And she kissed them, and like, good, goodbye. <laughs> and they wept aloud. And so they've hit a fork in the road, and lovely turns, she shoves, verse 7, to head back to her own land. But these Moabite women of all things, are shooving with her. They're turning with her. And so Lovely tells them, shoove off. Like, get out of here. Like, re- return to your own mothers. Like, I've got enough on my plate already. Um, chapter, or verse 10. They said to her, no, we will shove with you to your own, we'll return with you to your people. But Lovely, Naomi said, Shove, turn around, my daughters. Will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may... This is getting weird. Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if, you, if, they thought, even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? While, this is, it is weird watching little Timmy grow up. Um, and no, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of Yahweh has turned against me. And so now, Han and Luke and Chewie are dead, <laughs> and, and we've got broken-hearted, grieving Princess Leia leaving the Death Star, but some stormtroopers are, like, coming along with, with her, like, bonking their heads on the, you know, the thing or something. That's what they do. Um, like, what are you doing? Shoo! Go back! You, you don't belong with me. You don't belong where I'm going. And so, verse 14, then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That is actually the same word that Genesis 2 uses to describe what a husband is going to do to their wife. They're going to cleave. They're going to cling. They leave your father and mother and cling to your wife. And so she said, see, your sister-in-law has shoved, shoved off, you know, to her people and to her gods. Shove after your sister-in-law. But this is the way that Hebrew literature works, by the way. We just, the last time we'd heard of Orpah, she had just kissed Naomi. But now we get a detail dropped, you know, just a verse later. It was a goodbye kiss, is what it was. Like, it's in the next verse, here in verse 15, that we find out that Orpah has turned, she's shoved, and she's gone. And Orpah means something like nape of the neck, is what it means. Or, or sometimes it's just translated back. So Orpah has turned around, and now all you can see is her Orpah. He's <laughs> like, she's, bye. Um, but Ruth is clinging to Naomi, and she says, do not press me to abandon you, to leave you, or to shove, to turn back from following you. I want to cling to you and cleave to you. Don't tell me to just shove or urge me to abandon you. Again, it's the same language actually from, from Genesis 2 about abandoning father and mother. And Ruth erupts now with like this breathtaking expression of, of, of what will later in chapter 3 be called, be called uh, chesed, uh, God's loving kindness, commitment, loyalty. She says, verse 16, where you go, I will go. 
Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May Yahweh do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. (laughs) A lot of times I feel like maybe those of us who have, I've talked to several people who have like a bad taste in their mouth about the book of Ruth actually. And I think a lot of times cartoonified versions of of the story end up shaping our reading of the text. But like, and that's why we regret the book of Ruth. Um, but Naomi hardly sounds excited here. <laughs> She's like, I've told you three times to shoot, like to go. She, and she, she's like a stormtrooper tagging along to a rebel base. You know, <laughs> like, what, what can you do? What can you do? Like you kick, you kick the puppy three times and the puppy's still following you home. What are you gonna do? Um, 19. So, uh, so the two of them went on until they came to House of Bread, to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this lovely? She said to them, call me no longer lovely. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but Yahweh has shoved me. He's returned me like that book or like the you know the tool that somebody's just like he's returned me empty why why call me lovely when Yahweh has dealt harshly with me and the almighty has brought calamity upon me that last one is actually more honesty than most of us like have the courage for a lot of times because he she literally says the almighty has brought ra'ah on me it's like calamity bad evil like the tree of knowledge of good and and, and Ra'ah, like he's brought ra'ah on me. How many of us are willing to risk this kind of honesty, right? To stop being polite about the way we feel, to stop lying to ourselves about the way we feel and just say, you know what? Things are terrible right now. Things are really hard. Like, I was following my God as king, but somewhere along the way, God as king died, and now, it's like, the, the image I actually had when we were singing was, and I don't know if this is for anybody in the room, but it was like of a, of a coffee cup that's like just chipped. It's like got a chunk just missing out of it. And it's like, that's my, my life, that is irreparable. My life, things are not the way that they're supposed to be. I was a fruitful one, but things have fallen apart. How, how am I? People have asked me this evening, well, Life is hard right now. I'm struggling with doubts about God's existence or at least about God's goodness because God has brought brought bad on me. I handed myself over to God and God returned me empty. I'm I'm so grateful actually that like we as a community at Friday night, um, we want to be this kind of community where people can talk, where you can know somebody and let somebody in on this, where we can risk being as honest as the Psalms or as Naomi are um, about, you know, if I got really honest, like I'm empty, I'm angry, I'm scared, I'm bitter. 
Call me Mara. Bitter. Bitter is what it means. Call me Mara is what she says. Don't call me Naomi. Verse 22, immediately after. So Naomi, I I love that. God's word keeps calling us by our true name, even when we're struggling or hurting or doubting or bitter or angry or beating God's chest or giving God the middle finger. Your name is still lovely. Your name is Naomi. So verse 22, Naomi shuved. She returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who shuved. So it's a different kind of shuv because she's never been to Bethlehem. Naomi shuved with Ruth, who shuved from the country of Moab. They came to the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. So Ruth is like this four-act uh, story, and it divides neatly. And most, a lot of times the Bible doesn't do this, but it divides neatly into four chapters. And our story begins with famine and hunger and heartache. But now, as we're transitioning from Act 1 into Act 2, for next week, we see that it's the beginning of the barley harvest. There was no food, but now the barley harvest is coming in the house of bread. And consider... This, that Ruth is shooving, she's leaving a former identity behind as a Moabite, and she's wanting to join up with the, with the people of God. With, like, your God will be my God, your people might, but Naomi is shooving too. Ruth is uh, coming, she's turning to Israel's God for the first time. She's shooving because she's an outsider. Like, she doesn't belong, but Naomi is shuving too. Naomi's been in this for a long time. She's coming back from the land of death because she has become an outsider. And so in the space between the Moabite Ruth and bitter Naomi, I think we find all of us. Um, And I just want to name this this evening, that the ground here is level. God's family is made exclusively of returning outsiders. That's all of us in the room. If you're new to Friday night and you feel like you look around and everybody has their lives together and look at how they're dressed and man, their kids seem well behaved and I don't even have a family and I feel set back and man, like if you feel like you're the only one struggling, please hear me. Every single one of us is returning. Every single one of us is repenting. Every single one of us is turning away from darkness and we're all turning to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. And so if you're new, please know that we're all returning. And if you've been a part of Friday night since like times long past, like since the days of the mill back there, and you feel like, man, I have been here way too long and there has been like for me to tell any but like there's no way I can let people into into this into like my my struggle into my anger into my doubts into my bitterness into my addiction into my struggling marriage like I've been on the inside so long that I'm not supposed to still have struggles every single one of us by the way needs to run away very quickly from any community where we have to pretend like we are perfect and that we have nothing to turn from if you're like if 
If you're someone here who believes the lie, if I let them in, I will be out. If you believe that lie, we need to rebuke that tonight because there's no time to waste. Colorado Springs needs the church of Jesus that is composed exclusively of refamilied outsiders. You need to hear the truth that the inside is full of outsiders and what gets shared gets healed. You, that's actually where the story is headed in the next uh, three chapters. Spoiler alert if you don't know the end of Ruth. Well, it's like, I don't feel bad if you don't know the end of Ruth. Like, it's a story that's been out for 2,500 years. Like, spoiler alert, done. Like, by the end of the story, bitter is made whole. The bitter life becomes lovely again. And it is actually through the presence of a fellow outsider who loves her and refuses to leave is how she gets healed. That's what we can be for one another. The fellow outsider who refuses to... Bitter becomes lovely again because of Reuth. Her name means something like companion or friend. Ruth's life is an invitation to all of us to sink, sink your relational roots deep. Don't let friendships go lightly. Invest in those around you to love your fellow outsiders. If we want to be agents of deepest healing to those around us, what we have to say is I love you and I'm not going anywhere. You want to heal your marriage? Let the other person know because they don't know in their bones. Let them know I love you and I'm not going anywhere. If you want to help a friend, like a family member, a child that you're struggling, like this is where it starts. This is where healing, but I love you and I'm never going anywhere. That's, that's what we learn to say to the outsider that we just met or to the outsiders that we live with. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And that's what Ruth says to Naomi. And when she does, it's like she's anticipating something that's coming. The supreme revelation of what God is like. She's actually anticipating the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The reason that any of us are invited into or, to, or actually can say to somebody, I love you and I'm not going anywhere, is because that is what God is already always saying to all of us. If you feel far away, if you've, if you've come in here and you feel lost, if you feel like you're too far gone, like you are a lost cause, forever an outsider, my friends, hear the good news. God has become the fellow outsider who loves us and refuses to leave us. That's the, that's the whole point. God comes among us in, in the person of Jesus, and he says, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your concerns are my concerns now. Your family is my family. When you hurt, I too hurt. And when you weep, 
I weep. Your sin will be my sin. No, no, really. Really, I'll take it. Your death will be my death, and I will be buried. But I have risen in glory, and you too will rise in glory. You, you feel like you've been returned empty, and it's true, actually. It's actually true, but it, the empty isn't ra'ah. It's not bad. I am going to fill you up with more goodness and purpose and new life than you ever dreamed. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere, is what the Lord is speaking to you this evening. That's what we're invited to believe, to receive, and then to extend to others. And so right now, we're going to come to the table. And so I invite you to go ahead and... Um, I'm moving this because that's what you do at East. But... <laughs> You don't do it at Friday night. You just use your legs and walk over here. I invite you to go ahead and stand, my brothers and sisters. And if you need elements, we have volunteers. You can just raise your hand and the volunteers can, the wonderful Mertens can make sure that you have your elements my friends, this is the climax of Christian worship right here. It's not some, some song we sing. It's not some words spoken. It is the fact that the living Jesus sustains us. You are infinitely valuable to God. He loves you and he's not going anywhere and this is the sign that he gives us. He says, I don't know how much more seriously I could, I could give it. My body is broken. My blood is poured out. It's getting into you. Believe it. Believe it. And so, Lord Jesus, we, those of us who have come in and we're weathered and we're chipped and we're fractured, we feel broken. We ask right now that you would help us to believe, to turn to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in the room. And maybe you, like, this is all brand new. And you're just, what is this guy talking about? And I just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He is sharing his life with you. All of it. The good, the hard, the trails, the pouring out, and ultimately, resurrection and new life and joy eternal. It's for you, is what this table tells us. So if you're in this place and you've never opened yourself up to the love of God. I invite you right now, in whatever way you can, to just say, I turn. I turn. 
I open myself up. If, if there's love to be had, fill me up with it. My friends, on the night our Lord Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread. And having given thanks, he broke that bread. You can break the wafer. And he says, this is my body and it's given for you. It's for you. That's what he wants you to believe this evening. It's for you. As often as you eat this, remember me. And so Jesus, we remember what you did so long ago. And we remember that you are here now in this place. And though we feel bitter, though we feel fractured, and like butter spread over too much bread, we, we trust that you are sustaining us, that you are transforming us, and that you will never let us go. We receive this as the sign of the covenant. You may receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he shared that cup with his disciples. With you, he's sharing it tonight. He's here. And he says, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Your tomorrow is not defined by yesterday. It's washed away. I'm sending my life into you, fusing you with my life. Will you believe it? So Jesus, we remember you. We remember that we are forgiven by you. And we ask that you would animate us by the power of your spirit that we may taste and see that your life is good and joyful and for us. You may receive the cup. So right now, in your own way, maybe open your hands and lift up a, like words of thanksgiving to Jesus. Jesus is the one who welcomes us. Jesus is the one who loves us, who will not let us go. And we, all we do, all we bring is emptiness to be filled up with gratitude. So Jesus, we love you. Let's sing. We sing it again here tonight. Come all you weary. Come all you broken. Rest in the Lord. Come be restored at the table. Bring all your sorrow. your burdens and trade them for joy lift up your voice at the table that's what we do tonight thank you Jesus it is faith. 
say this very often because I didn't grow up in a charismatic tradition, but, um, but someone in the room needs to hear what I just felt, that um, it's happening. Amen. Jesus, you are the people through whom God is getting his love into the world, and it's happening. It's happening. You don't have to be afraid. It's going to happen, and you're going to see the movement that you've been longing for. Love never fails. It never fails. And so it's happening, my brothers and sisters. So open up your hands right now and receive the benediction. As our prayer prayer team comes, you guys can come on up. I ask, oh, Jesus you would fill up my brothers and sisters with a knowledge that life will not end in bitterness. It will not, it cannot end in bitterness. For you, our Lord, our God, you have tasted the bitter sting of death and you have laid it in the grave and you are bringing us out of the tombs and leading us into the new dawn of your world of love. And so I ask that my friends would see it dawning around them this weekend and in this week to come. May they see that it's happening. My friends, I ask that the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May you recognize his countenance towards you and it is one of love and smile and I'm going to make you alive in his eyes. May you see his bright shining countenance and may it give you peace tonight and this week in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Can we give God one more? Uh, Yeah. Just as a reminder, if you're interested in the Foundations of Faith class, Jackie, Pastor Jackie is in the back. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central and go in God's grace, brothers and sisters. Much love.